it really shows you how we've changed and how we treat kids differently and and how we treated kids more like little adults. Now we kind of coddle them a little bit. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. How we treat kids now and how we treat kids then, there is no good or bad. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. It's just that it's different. And so now it's a little more protective. And in a lot of ways, that's good. In a lot of ways, that's bad. And it was much more carefree back in the 70s. In a lot of ways, that's good. But in a lot of ways, that's bad. Podcast Junkies, episode 177. I am reporting live from Naples, Florida. Still at my friend's John's, John's house. Say hi, John. Hey. <laughs> Just want to show you, you don't have to have perfect audio for a podcast intro when it's your show. Give people a taste of what's going on in your life. Uh, enjoying some time in the sun here. In case you missed last week's episode, we had Aviv Shahar, host of Create New Futures. Aviv is a truly exceptional uh, executive coach and uh, learned a lot about his approach for how he coaches leaders to become better at what they do. So please, uh, we've been getting some good feedback on that episode. Check that out, episode 176. Uh, this week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Craig Price. He's the host of Matinee Heroes. Craig and I were connected uh, through a mutual friend uh, with some work we were looking to get done. Um, and I met Craig and I learned about Matinee Heroes and I decided to have him on the show because I, I don't think we've had someone who was doing a show uh, on movies specifically. We talk about the movies that inspired his movie craze and the origin story of Matinee Heroes. We talk about how movies can be a snapshot of childhood and the importance of failure in childhood. We talk about a TV show that is near and dear to my heart and will definitely show my age, Battle of the Network Stars. Craig uh, also lets us know who his favorite movie villain is and uh, his experience as a panel host and what that's taught him. So full show notes at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 177. This episode is brought to you by Squadcast. Squadcast is doing an amazing job of creating what are typically known as uh, double enders. And those are uh, radio, radio, not radio, but podcast episodes that are recorded and both sides are recorded locally on each person's machine. It's only through a browser. And when the episode is done, both wave files are synced up to the host, resulting in quality audio. So check them out, squadcast.fm and uh, forward slash podcast junkies or promo code podcast junkies. I never forget. I never remember which one it is, but one of those anyway, or just get to squadcast.fm two week trial and you'll be happy you did. So make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. Uh, but for now, enjoy my conversation with Craig. So Craig Price, co-host of Matinee Heroes. Thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Thanks, Harry. It's great to be here. So I always, uh, especially since we're talking about movies, we'll be talking about movies in a bit. I always like the origin story of how we met. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. It was like, it's so for the listener, I have a, a position opening up with my business full cast and um, somehow Craig got wind of it and we connected and we had a chat. And uh, obviously, since it was in a podcasting, we got to talking about podcasting and his show. And uh, it sounded like a lot of fun because I'm uh, not... A, professional movie buff, but I'm a, a big fan. Uh, and I always look forward to an opportunity to talk about movies and talk about podcasting. And I think we're, we're going to be doing a lot of that today. Yeah, I, that's the majority of the podcasts I listen to are either comedy or movie related, because I, I use podcasts to enjoy my time. I know so many thought leaders and speakers and from my regular job that I sometimes need to get away from that and try to, you know, immerse my brain into some other things. Do you remember the earliest or the first podcast you ever listened to? Yeah, actually, uh, I got into it, I guess it would be late 2010. 
uh, Mark Marin, WTF. You know, I, it's really weird because I was, yeah. I had to get oral surgery and I had to get my gums done. And if you're a speaker like I am and you speak for a living, that's a nightmare. And they literally had to not wire my mouth shut, but they had to wire my mouth. And I couldn't talk for three weeks, uh, three or four weeks. They had me on, don't open your mouth for three or four weeks, which, you know, my wife refers to as the golden age of our relationship. <laughs> and so I had nothing to do and I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't really, you know, do anything. I could do some stuff at work, but it's hard to, you know, interact with folks. And you just certainly don't want to keep sending out marketing emails and leads and then having them call and telling, you know, I can't talk to you. So, so we've scheduled it over the the holidays of Christmas and New Year's, and I just uh, didn't have much to do. So in my morphine-induced haze, I listened to WTF and uh, from you know, get my same kind of attitude. So I was really interested in hearing what he was doing. And he does these great interviews, as you know. And so it hooked me on not only podcasts, but podcasting. It was something while I was there, yeah. struggling to do something. I'm like, I can't wait to do a podcast of something uh, because this sounds like it's fun, and I would love to do that as well. And I did. What did you think of the uh, Obama interview? Oh, it's fantastic. And the fact that he went out of the, his way to find not NPR that does interviews and does podcasts, but their podcasts are just really radio shows yeah, yeah, yeah. in podcast format. Um, I thought it was really important that he went out of their way. They went out of their way to find a true podcaster to do that because it, it just gives some credibility to the medium and really showed that podcasting has come quite a long ways from just a couple of people talking to each other and having about nine downloads a week. What was fascinating for me was the play-by-play that, that he released immediately after the episode where it was like, okay, how the sausage was made type of thing. Like, and this is what happened. This is Secret Service. And I, I almost found that as a podcaster more fascinating <laughs> because it was just the whole behind the scenes is just, you know, you felt like you were there in the room. It's like director's commentaries. Uh, yes, I find, exactly. I find those sometimes more entertaining than the movie. There's some movies that are just awful, but I know that the making of them was such an interesting thing that I'll, I'll actually watch it with the audio commentaries because I want to, like I said, see how the sausage is made. And yeah, when he's talking about snipers having to set up on his neighbor's house and his neighbor's kind of a, you know, a Republican type. So he was really excited about having secret service and snipers on his roof and yeah. And how they had to put the, the tarp and the big, I guess this entryways to kind of cover his entrance. Yeah. It was super exciting. That's the, the kickoff for podcasting for you. What about movies? I, I know every, every person has a childhood memory of a movies, but I, I felt I, I got the sense from listening to a couple of the episodes that movies hold a special place in your heart. So I'm wondering when you first experienced a movie as something magical. Well, it's got to be Star Wars, you know, mm. and, and I saw it not necessarily when it came out. I saw it a year or so later because I lived in New Hampshire. Movies don't come out like they do now. Now movies come out every on the one weekend all over the world at once. Back then, they'd roll them out like they'd have a big opening, and it'd be under, and it would be a two hundred theaters. Ooh, big deal! And then a week later, it might show up in another town. And then two weeks later, it would show up in another town. And it took a couple, it took a while. And I was young, I was so I was only five or five years old or so. And uh, my parents took us to the drive-in to see it. It was a double feature of Star Wars and Cool Hand Luke, which, in retrospect, now I can appreciate the projectionist in the the doing that because it's a it's a loop double feature but at least it was something for the kids and then it was something for the parents and so it was in a drive-in so it had to be at night so the kids fall asleep and the parents could watch a really not a cool paul newman movie without and most of the kids are asleep and getting bored and because it's when you're five years old cool hand luke's not the most exciting movie in the world 
but yeah, I remember seeing Star Wars and going crazy for that. I remember 81 was the, the other big leap was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, and I saw that uh, illegally probably 50 <laughs> times because I used to, I would, I would sneak in at the local theater. Actually, uh, it got to be a couple years after that when it came out on Laserdisc, those big, huge discs. Oh, yeah. My fourth grade teacher showed it to us. In the class. Yeah, in the class. And it was a big deal because they said shit. <laughs> and they didn't bleep it out. And we were all excited about it. It was amazing. And, but, it, but it just shows you the, the power of movies and that certain movies, regardless, like Schindler's List is a movie that doesn't matter what age, you have to see it. It's, it's a beautiful movie, but it's also horrifying and gas. And ghastly. There's a lot of stuff in there that you, you just it, you just can't see, but you have to. And so, movies have always been something that I've connected with and loved. So I, you know, I went to school for film studies, and you know, I would try to get involved in things like you know, little things I could. Being from New Hampshire was difficult because um, there's movies aren't made in New Hampshire. I think On Golden Pond was made in like 1980, and then there wasn't like another one until. Jumanji in 1994, <laughs> which I got to be an extra on, which was fun. Oh, really? That's cool. That doesn't earn you IMDb credit, does it? No, it does not, because I was an extra. So it does, you know. And in fact, I think I was. They superimposed a CGI rhinoceros over my running scene because I was in the the town crowd where we were running when they were escaping. But I got to see Robin Williams uh, do his thing, and yeah, and it was amazing to watch him and the stunt double. And have a different the differences, because the stunt double kind of went through the motions, and he he had high energy, but it wasn't really acting. But then you see Robin Williams do it, and his is all it's all emotion based because he's not the most fluid person. But he you could see that he was actually like dodging. I think this was when the 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 gang comes through, or there some kind of some, he was dodging things through traffic, and it was just wa- amazing to watch him do his thing versus the stuntman. Oh, interesting. So one of the things you uh, mentioned was this idea of programming uh, a double feature, and it's something you talk about on your show as well. So um, talk about how uh, Matinee Heroes got started and how you decided on, on what format you'd use. Well, Alan Cerny, who's my co-host, is a reviewer on ComingSoon.net, and my long-running show that I had, Reality Check with Craig Price, which I had for seven years, he came on. At first, I asked them to come on just as a, a film reviewer, just to talk about what's it like to film, uh, review films and, and what do you have to think about and worry about and consider when you're writing a review. Then I found out that he lived in Houston, where I was living at the time. And so I had him come over and we, we talked about Oscars every year. We would do a summer and a holiday movie preview. Um, we'd go to a lot of events with each other. So we're, we became friends versus just someone I might have on as a guest. And for five or six years, he was on three or four times a year, and we would see each other at the Comic-Cons or at a movie or just in the, in the neighborhood sometimes. And he finally decided to take the leap and go, well, I want to do a podcast on my own, but I don't know how to do them. And I certainly was willing to offer up my – because those were some of my favorite episodes are doing the movie ones. And so we decided to just do a movie podcast, but we didn't want to do a regular movie podcast because it seems to be – Nowadays, most movie podcasts are either just plain reviews of new movies, they're either movie news, or they tear down a movie. One of my, one of my favorite ones is How Does This Get Made? And it's a, it's a bunch of comedians talking about really bad movies. And I didn't, we didn't want to do that. Alan is one of the most positive internet film reviewers I've ever met. 
um, which is unusual because most film reviewers can be kind of, you know, they're critics for a reason. And he, we wanted to find something that was more uplifting and positive. And so talking about heroes and how we can take some of the lessons we learn in these movies and apply them to real life was something that he wanted to do. And as someone who is a speaker and talks about negativity and, and how, to, how you can apply it usefully, I thought this would be a good combo for the both of us. So we both we started that. And basically our format is rather simple. We usually have something opening, like if we're doing an event or we've got something going on in the world, we talk about that for about five to 10 minutes. Then we cut to about 15, 20 minutes or whatever, how long it takes to talk about the movie itself and the lessons we learned or things that we observed. Then we recast the movie. I find that recasting often pulls out motivations from the character because you start analyzing the character rather deeply because why are you going to recast Richard Dreyfuss's role in Jaws? And if you were, what do you need to think about? And you need to think about someone who's going to be from an affluent society, who but yet is is yet a blue collar guy. That's the thing about Richard Dreyfuss's character is that he's really a privileged person going to Amity Island and dealing with everyday folks. And he has to show that he is someone that can kind of traverse both both lanes. And so you, you start talking about the character more. Then we do a double feature just to try to expand our viewerships, um, maybe interest into other movies, introduce them sometimes. Alan's much better at this than I am. Alan really gets kind of deep into some weird stuff. Yeah, he was talking about uh, his uh, hullabaloo. So talk a little bit about that. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> One of the things that I really miss about moving to San Jose is the Alamo Draft House. The Alamo Draft House is a great theater sh- uh, the chain now uh, where it's you eat while you watch the movie. They have strict rules, but they also have really weird movies that they show. And they have great parties and, and events to go around these situations. And we would host them. Just maybe a movie, like we hosted a Jaws uh, movie one time, and just we, you know, you, you, we talked about it a little bit up, up front. We would ask some questions from the audience, show the movie, and then afterwards we talk about the movie a little bit. And with the hullabaloo, the one in Houston is very specific. Uh, Alan, uh, another reviewer, uh, Meredith Borders, I believe, and the, the the general manager of the Alma Draft House, they would pick three movies. If they sold enough tickets in advance, they'd expand it to five movies, but it's like a little mini marathon and it's just movies that they want to expose to people. They may be movies that are famous one time, but they it's 30 years and this new generation may not have seen them or just they're so obscure. No one's ever seen. Them. I think Robert Sostato, who's the general manager of the draft house, he picks the weird ones that nobody's heard of where Alan would I think this year. He did Arthur, the original with Dudley Moore. Just to show, because I don't think anybody's actually taken a time to sit down and seen that in a long time, or especially if you're under, you know, 35, I don't think you've ever seen it. You've probably seen the Russell Brand version. And so the Hullabaloo, he does every year, and it's really fun to go to. It's, it's one of those one-day mini-marathons that, you know, really get new and interesting movies. I think last year they showed 12 Chairs, which is Mel Brooks's Oscar-winning uh, screenplay. So, so he, it was 1964 or something like that. It was right before the producers. It, so it, it's really an eclectic, uh, interesting way to spend a, an afternoon, especially with all the great food at the Delma Draft House. You don't really have to go anywhere except for the bathroom. Yeah, it's it's really for the um, cinephile, right? I mean, just person who just truly loves movies. Because to be sitting there for 10, 
12 hours, I, I, I got to imagine you into it and really not know what to expect because I can understand the people that do it for like the Lord of the Rings trilogy or just going to see all the Star Wars, as painful as that was. <laughs> they don't tell you ahead of time. You don't know. The hullabaloo is a surprise. Yeah. So they don't advertise the movies. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, you just know that you're going to get five movies. And there may be a running theme between the five movies. There may not. But you have no idea what you're going into. So yeah, you really have to love movies to put yourself into that position. The other thing that was interesting is I was listening to the one of the Bad News Bears because uh, um, I'm 47, so that that was my generation, and and I just really love how you guys got into this long discussion about what a different time that was, and you know the the father hitting the kid, and he was saying how he was um I don't know if he was using that movie as an example, but just that that idea that if you play that scene now. Like people are, will be shocked or, or just some of the comments that Dudley Moore makes in Arthur. <laughs> and it was a different time. I think what you were alluding to, especially with the, with the Bad News Bears, is it's a, it was almost like a perfect movie to, to show what that time was like. Yeah, the Bad News Bears came out in 75, 76. It is the perfect movie to show you, if I'm going to take a snapshot of what it was like to be a kid. And I grew up, I'm, you know, I'm 45, so I, I'm right there with you. I grew up in that environment. You know, that's that is like my childhood. We kind of wander around. We swear at each other. Uh, I don't think we had the racism and some of the uh, and some of the violence that was in this particular movie. But it definitely it was how the kids related to each other and how Walter Matthau's character related to the kids was very authentic to the time. And you wouldn't get away with it now. Absolutely not. I mean, a 14 year old kid on a motorcycle just driving around town is not going to happen. They, they don't let kids walk to school. and. And so it really is a good movie of the time because it really shows you how we've changed and how we treat kids differently and and how we treated kids more like little adults. Now we kind of coddle them a little bit. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Uh, how we treat kids now and how we treat kids then, there is no good or bad. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. It's just that it's different. And so now it's a little more protective. And in a lot of ways, that's good. In a lot of ways, that's bad. And it was much more carefree back in the 70s. In a lot of ways, that's good. But in a lot of ways, that's bad. Because I'm sure a lot of more kids got hurt just kind of wandering around doing stuff than they do now. Because, you know, we, we literally had free reign. You know, at 8, eight o'clock in the morning, my parents, goodbye. And then they'd come again at 5 o'clock and we'd eat. And then they that's it. What we were doing between 8 and 5, we we're in the swamps running around. We're in the woods throwing rocks at each other. We're just doing stupid kid stuff. And I get upset with all the Tide Pod, all the Tide Pod stuff, and all the cinnamon challenge. All these kids today are stupid. The kids do stupid things every generation. Yeah, the difference is social media makes it sound like every single kid is doing it, or it's a huge thing. And we didn't have everybody exposing our stupidest secrets in front of the world every day. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I think um, I mean I grew up playing on the street in front of my house. Like we played every single port, like running bases, Ring Olivia, which is like a adult, like I guess a, a form of uh, hide and go seek, dodgeball, wiffle ball, <laughs> football, soccer. Like we had two sewer caps, and those were like the different bases. And you know we would just be so inventive, and we'd probably get fifteen, twenty kids from the neighborhood just coming in and around. And when I go visit my parents now, it's just the, the streets are quiet. The streets are dead. Like no one's playing in the streets. It's just really weird to have experienced that and and live through that as a child, and then realize like we we live in a much different time now. Yeah, and I was uh, ripping apart fireworks and and making little smoke bombs with my friends, and and one time I remember, so we had a fireplace chimney barbecue thing 
in our in the backyard of our house that my we never used. It was there when we moved in, but we never used it. So we would just take like rocket engines from model rockets and you just break them up and take all the explosive stuff out of it and put it in a big paper towel or something and tie it up and get the wick and we'd throw it down the hole of the chimney of this barbecue pit went off and one time it just smoked so much that one of the actually one of our teachers pulled over and, and pulled into my driveway because he thought maybe there was a fire. So these are the stupid things that we would do, which you would never get away now. You talked about, I think, walking home from school as well. I think I was in second grade and my brother was in third at the time. And we went uh, for those first couple of years, we were in a different part of town. So I was going to a Catholic high school, a Catholic uh, elementary school. And we probably, it took us half an hour to walk home and we weren't in a great part of town and not not even a part of town that I would be in now going back to my parents uh, in, in Yonkers where I grew up. And if I think about like having a kid my age walking back home, <laughs> I would be like so, so freaked out. Well, I had to leave. I did the same thing. I had to walk to school every day too. And I would have to leave after my parents went to work because school started for us like at 8.15 and you know, my parents left at 7.30, but I didn't have to leave until almost eight o'clock. I was only 15, 20 minutes away. I remember one day it was the winter time and I'm from New Hampshire. You're from New York. You know how cold it gets in the winter and it, the wind chill factor was probably minus 10 and I'm wearing a baseball cap and a, just a regular jacket. Cause my mom wasn't there to go, Hey, put a hat on you idiot. And I literally got frostbite on my ears walking to school because we were left alone. Also, I spent all my lunch money across the street at the, at the store buying candy because my parents were there, so they'd give me $3 because that's how much lunch was back then. I don't know what it is now, like twenty-five, fifty, or something like that. Get $3, you'd run over and get penny candy for actually a penny. There was some penny candy that was a half a cent, so you'd get two pieces for a thing. And you, and you would just buy a big bag of candy and go to school. And that was your lunch. Of course, you couldn't do that every day, but it was one of those things that we had such free reign to do stuff. Like I said, sometimes that's good, but when it comes to, you know, I'm not fiscally responsible at 11 years old, sometimes, you know, I would end up wasting that money on garbage on the way to school. Yeah. And I think almost in a way that those are like little mini lessons for us and as that we had to go through to find out like what, what you sort of like at that age, you need to find out what you can and can't do. And you're always pushing the buttons of what you can do on, on your bicycle and how high you can jump off the ledge and <laughs> little stuff like that. We, we tried to build a we, treehouse in the back in my backyard because there was a little bit a little woods that extended out into um and it was it's just on an incline and I, I remember one day like we're we're bringing plywood up and we're hammering it to this tree and i step on this i had to be at least maybe 10 feet up in the air and i step on this one piece of plywood and it was not nailed down it just went like a seesaw and i went over backwards and fell and thankfully into like a pile of leaves. But I was like, that could have gone really bad. Yeah. And you didn't have any blueprints or anything. You just kind of had like, well, let's slap something up here and this will work there. And no, I was like, the little rascals can do it. I can do it. It's the ability to fail, which a lot of parents don't allow anymore. It's super important to allow kids to fail, which is why in the bad news bears, it's so, it's so great. Movies in the seventies allow, they failed a lot. But, but they learned a lot in the failure. The Bad News Bears, spoiler alert from a 40-year-old movie, they don't win. And, and actually, they're kind of sore losers about it, too. When, when you know, the, the little, little guy with the, I can't remember his name, but the little blonde-headed kid who swears so much. But they learned how to be better people by doing what they had to do to, and still failing. Like Walter Matthau finally puts all the kids in 
and that's definitely going to screw them up because you, it's the championship. You don't put your every player in; you put your best players in. But they were there to play, and that was why it was such a big deal when the father hit the kid. Is that because it showed that? Well, and that could easily happen nowadays. So let's not forget that parents have gotten worse. I think as far as living through their children, but it's it's we're here to play. You you want us to win, and yeah, we'd like to win, but we don't need to win to have fun and to learn. And that's what was so great about that movie. And and Rocky as well, right? So I think a lot of people forget that how that movie ends. Yeah, Rocky. The Rockies is not about winning; it's about trying. And so is Creed, the new the new movie with the. Oh, I love, that was really good. I liked it a lot. He knew it, when he got the the fight that he probably wouldn't win, and that's not the point of the fight. The point of the fight is to prove yourself, which he did at the very end. Spoiler word again: when he doesn't win, but he's gotten so much respect on his own, even though he's got the Creed name, he has now earned his own name. And that's the whole point of the movie. Find a good mentor. Understand that, you know, Rocky was, Sylvester Stallone was fantastic in that movie. Because, uh, you know, he, sh- he should have been probably nominated for an Academy Award. I don't think he should have won, but he definitely should have been nominated. He was really heartfelt and sincere. But it was about understanding other folks, fi- connecting with people, finding love, and making attempts. Making attempts at the impossible. If, that's what life is. It's, it's lots of failures with every once in a while some victories. Uh, the other movie he did a great job in was Copland. Yeah, yeah, he is good in Copland. He's very good. I was really, really like raw, no, no muscle head Sylvester Slice alone there. It was like the probably the closest we'll ever get to see him in super vulnerable mode. Um, I think after Rocky, because then he's just got this. And then it's always fun to watch things like the Expendables, which is like essentially your reimagining of every action hero like in the past where you would have like the gi joe playing with the transformer playing <laughs> with this other with the dinosaur uh, that's what i felt like the expendables was like a horrible movie on all fronts but it was just a super guilty pleasure <laughs> on, on my end yeah it's like the battle of the network stars it's you know it's it's people that shouldn't be doing athletics and maybe there's some that are athletic but they really shouldn't be doing it and in this case a lot of them are past their prime because look I love these guys. We have to let the listener know about uh, Battle of the Network Stars. I love that show so much because it was uh, at the time there was only the major three networks: ABC, CBS, and NBC. And you would have the best stars of that channel play against the other channel, and they were doing things like tug of war and all this other silly stuff. But I, I used to love. I used to love when you used to see things like you normally don't see. Like you would see an an actor for a character for one show, like appear on another show and just these little things that would play with you like in terms of like, Oh, you're not supposed to see all these people on the same screen together. So I think that was kind of the draw for me there, but it was really fun to watch. And that was back when networks competed with each other, but they didn't compete that much. Like now you have to fight for every listener, every viewer, no matter what, as a podcaster, we know that that's, you've got to find your niche and try to collect as many people in that niche. You're not going to get everybody, but you can be very successful with a smaller audience if you can just make sure that you really keep that audience. Back then, they didn't care. It was, there's three audience. You know, they may win Tuesday night, but you know, CBS had Wednesday night, and ABC had Friday night, and you know, NBC had Thursdays. So it was they they kind of were less competitive. It was and it was fun to see. As you think about, um, I, I get the sense that you, you have a real connection to the movies you talk about. So that uh, I imagine that colors the, the amount of research you, you do into which movies you're going to pick to review next on the show. Well, yeah, uh, to some degree, um, Alan is in charge of most of the curating of the movies. Now, I will pick I will pick mine when I find it appropriate, or if there's a movie coming out. You know, if there's a movie coming out like Avengers: Infinity War, we'll try to do something that ties into that. Also, we have 
Patreon members, and if they pay a certain amount a month, they get to pick one of the movies we review. And so, so we have to, that's kind of makes obligations. All of June is matinee heroines month. And so we focus all on female heroes for the entire month. And we, and we try to bring female reviewers and folks onto the show as a third person, as a third co-host. It's, it's very important to us that we do that because it's, you know, I think they get short shrift a lot. And so, yeah, it's two, it's two dudes talking and that's most of podcasting. So it's really important to bring in the female audience uh, and, and get their point of view. And especially if we're going to sit there and talk about women in movies, we don't want to mansplain the entire time. So we want to bring in somebody that has that perspective because there's a lot of times where we're talking about a movie and like Big Trouble in Little China or we're going to do um, Buckaroo Banzai. The female characters in that are not the greatest. They're, they're props. They're there to be rescued and they're there to cry and they're there to be scared. And that's not good nowadays. Um, that was typical in the 70s and 80s. And we were, you know, we refer to that. But we'd much rather have a Karen Allen from Indiana Jones who w- had her own agency and was very independent or uh, Charlize Theron. And so we did Aliens because uh, last year, because Sigourney Weaver and the Aliens crew was coming to Comic Palooza, the Houston Comic Con. And so we'll have little tie-ins. We do matinee Villains Month in October because of Halloween. So we have a whole month of villains. And so we don't go into necessarily the why they're villains, but we like we do why are the heroes and what we learn. But it's just we, that's when we really enjoy just the villainy of things. And because and, you, know, you can't have a good hero without a really good villain. What's your favorite uh, all-time film villain? Ooh, film villain? Uh, you know, Darth Vader's the, the easy one to go to, but he is. But it's because at a, such a young age, he's burned into my brain. So uh, at six years old, he's scary. But I think Hannibal is in all versions. Um, I love Mad Mickelson's television version the best because he's kind of got the best of both worlds uh, where he seems evil, but yet he's someone you actually care about. And he's very suave and charming. And Anthony Hopkins is fantastic, but I think he kind of he had too many too many movies as Hannibal, and he got into what I call Pacino syndrome. Now, Pacino syndrome is something that I have invented, and we bring it on the podcast a lot. And that is when a great actor finds a character, gets locked into a character for too long a time. Nicholson did that after The Shining. He was great until The Shining. He was great in The Shining. Then he was stuck in Jack Nicholson mode until as good as it gets for like 20 years. Pacino is finally starting to get out of his mode. He sent a woman came along and he was, and he was like that for another 15, 20 years. And so Anthony Hopkins with Hannibal, he did a great job in Silence of the Lambs. Then he kind of became more and more of a parody as things went along. I was uh, partial to Heath Ledger in uh, Dark Knight. Yep, fantastic in that. Because it's so tragic too. Because he was just like that was his final role, and and he went out. I mean, on a high note from an acting perspective, but it just also made you think about like what was he going through that he was so troubled. You know that that's how it ended, and and the, what, what how much of that colored it. Just it's it's just really interesting. We have all these Hollywood stories that we'll never know the answer to. I'm not really buying into the whole the Joker made him depressed, and so he was on. All, I think he like a lot of celebrities. Um, they have access to healthcare and doctors who are more in doctors nowadays prescribe medication versus trying to fix the problem. So I think he accidentally died of a combination of prescriptions, like, like they say, but he's doing a Tom Waits impression the entire movie. 
if you've ever heard Tom Waits just talk in general, especially in the in the sixties and seventies, there's a specific interview that they show, and it's he's doing Tom Waits, and it's it's amazing that it's the voice is is perfect, um, and he's one of those guys that would just get into a character, and, and it shows every second that he's on there, and, and it helps to have a great script and a and a and a great movie overall. So I, I agree. You actually talked about uh, you had a whole panel where you talked about all all the Batman's uh, um, about halfway through there. So that was fun to listen to because everyone has got an opinion, obviously, on on who's the best Batman. And it, it was interesting that every everyone on the panel just had a different take and a different reason why they liked specifically. Even people like Ben Affleck, who's actually begun to grow on me as well, which is interesting. That was through the Salt Lake Comic Con. So I, I thanks to my podcast uh, before this, the podcasting has been an unbelievable resource for me. Um, and it's opened doors that I never thought would have opened before. And it allowed me to moderate Comic-Con panels. And this particular one was the Salt Lake. And the way Salt Lake runs their thing is, normally if you submit a panel on a topic and a discussion, you would host it. That's not how it works in Salt Lake. In Salt Lake, you submit a panel that you want to talk about and they'll have you on as a panelist, but they'll get someone like myself or one of the other moderators who kind of know what they're doing because fans can often be super excited, but then it can go off the rails as soon as they're out in public. And so they have me kind of spin the plates and make sure nothing hits the ground and keep traffic moving. And thankfully now that I'm doing the podcast with the matinee heroes, we can take a lot more of those uh, panels and there's a home for them so they can exist not only for people who are there, but that Batman one, which was fun to do. And we incorporated it into the Matinee Heroes. Uh, we, that's when we decided, well, I'm going to be doing this. And if the, if the audio comes out, which is hit or miss when you're at a live event like that, if the audio is great, we'll add to it. And sure enough. So it's one of those things where we're hoping to do the same thing uh, in Houston next week. And I'll be in Salt Lake again in, uh, in the fall. And I, I think I'm doing the Monterey Comic Con. And at the end of, end of June. So I always bring my re- trusty recorder with me and, and plug it in and see what we can get. Yeah, I think uh, once, you, once you have a podcast, you're always looking at uh, opportunities to for your show or even, you know, I'm not sure how many podcast ideas you have in your podcast idea notebook, but I know <laughs> I'd probably have about a dozen of uh, ideas that always pop up. Oh, I should do a show about this or this would be cool. And then I realize how much work it is just to have the one show. Um, and then we, we do it full time for our clients. So <laughs> it's nice to think about, but there's never a shortage of like uh, ideas in, in the middle of the night or you're in the shower. You're like, sounds like it'd be a, a cool show to do. Someone should do it. Well, that's why I liked my original podcast, Reality Check. It was a lot of work, but it wasn't, there was no single theme or I would just interview people that had interest. It's like dirty jobs, except I didn't have to get dirty. And I would learn about someone's job or philosophy or ideas. And I didn't have to get stuck just doing either someone who may be in business. I didn't have to do that. And that's not the best way. I would definitely not suggest you do that if you're starting a podcast. I did, but I didn't know any better. And it took about a year and a half for people to finally figure out, oh, he's going to have something completely different next week. And that became a draw versus but he had it took a year and a half to convince people because they were like, "Well, last week he had you know, Doctor Doctor Don Charles from NASA talking about radiation and how we're traveling to Mars. Why aren't we talking about science topics this week? Because we're talking to some lady from England about brothels and how do you market something that's illegal? So it's one of these things. It's just or an FBI agent or orangutan rescue or something. And it would it would it took people a good year." To figure that out, but also that's back when podcasting is 2011, which is podcasting was still this weird unknown. 
And if you're listening and any of those topics that Craig just mentioned are interesting to you, then you can head on over. Uh, and the best place to find that podcast would be still on iTunes. Absolutely. I didn't take it down because I have an obligation to my guests. I, I, I would I would feel bad that I spent all this time, I've spent all these years, people have put it on their website. They've under the false impression that it's important. So so I don't want to take that away from them. I keep that up there. I, you know, it's on Lipson. I pay the bare minimum now because I, it's, it's, it doesn't cost for $5 a month to have them have access to their show and their, for their marketing. Definitely worth it. So it, it'd be realitycheckpodcast.com or realitycheckwithcraigprice. And so one of the other things you do on the show is you also recast, which I thought was interesting, like you and you walk through the what, I, what I'm fascinated by just with the recasting and, and the um, deciding what movie to pair it with is you really need a strong understanding, appreciation, education in in films, because, you know, to be pulling from that, those past films, that experience, knowing what actors work well, it just feels like uh, you need a specific skill set to be doing some of the things you guys are doing, you're pulling off on the show. Well, I think the best skill set is a memory because a lot of the times Alan will recast somebody and just when he says the name, oh, that's perfect. I didn't think of it. I know who that actor is. It's just that my brain can't get through the, the Rolodex of actors. And so it's not necessarily a great, you need to have a great uh, knowledge of acting. It's just that you just have to be able to pull the information. And that's my problem is pulling information. I've got a large volume of useless information in my head. Um, it's, it hasn't served me too well in life, but it has served me well in podcasting. And cause when I had my discussions, you know, I would have these diverse people from diverse backgrounds and I know just enough to ask enough good questions. Well, and also ignorance. My ignorance is I really lay heavy on my ignorance. I had never had a problem saying something wrong or asking a question. Pref and oftentimes this is a little trick for interviewing is I would actually say something incorrectly on purpose. Because people love to correct you and, and then show how right they are. It's an ego thing. It's just, they have their expertise. So I would say something that I knew, not necessarily to poke the bear or to insult them, but I would say it, it would be just wrong enough where they'd go, well, well, really, Craig, that's not true. It's this. And then they would explain in detail. And it's a great way of getting them to really get excited about something because people really love to correct and to and show how smart they are. So I, the ignorance is where I come in is I, I can't access those things as quickly as I'd like. And so even I have to go, who was that guy in that movie? And then I got to Google it. And then I'm like, Oh no, he's not the right guy. And then I, and then from there, so I still have to do a lot more research than Alan does. Alan has that encyclopedic brain. I get the sense yeah, that he's just pulling stuff out of his head. That's like, that's the way his mind works. Yeah. And I'm not like that. It's like baseball folks. People know Willie Mays is batting average and fielding percentage in 1971. And, I mean, I can't do that. I know Willie Mays. I know he was a tremendous center fielder. Uh, he's great, and he played for the Giants. And I know, I know enough about him to ask questions. But I, I can't do that. My brain doesn't allow me to do that. My cash in my brain clears out too quickly. But again, it's just about being able to get an idea of who you want and understanding the character. That's why we do it. Because if you understand the character, you can. He goes, well, he reminds me of this person, and then you just kind of. I, I have to take a lot of notes. So I take a lot more notes than Alan. Alan kind of wings it because he has that brain. I, I, I have to actually sit down. I have, I have notes. I'm showing you my notes from like Buckaroo Banzai. It seems like you guys have a good chemistry and you work well off each other. Well, we just like each other. That's the key thing. I mean, we've had a, we've, we've been on podcasts together before and that's how we knew. And um, 
people would always say that, and it would reflect that in the numbers, that those particular podcasts that we did were some of their favorites. And so when he's like, I'd like to do something a little more, because I'm like, yeah, I'll be glad to help you out. And like I said, we get along great. Um, we don't get to see each other as much anymore that I'm in California and he's in Texas. So we do a lot more Skyping, but we talk about every other week and record um, like two episodes at a time. Then uh, we Facebook a lot. We'll see each other in Houston where we're going to be both downtown or we'll be at the Comic-Con. We have, we have a panel. We're going to have a live podcast with audience members and it'll be the second time we've done that. And it's, it's fun. So we enjoy each other and he's really smart about movies. So I like to get, I like to get his opinion, but I also like to get his, see, hear him get excited when I have a good pick. So his job is to analyze the movie and pull out some life lessons. My job, I believe is to get really good recasting and double features as best I can. So he'll go, Oh man, that's great. Cause that makes me feel good. I feel, I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't make a recommendation for a movie. Interstellar. Interst oh, the Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I think you're going to get mixed reviews on that one. I love that movie up until a point. I think, I think that's the point where I fell in love with the movie. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people do. Yeah. That's what makes or breaks a movie is, is that one moment where you're like, well, all these steps that he has laid out. And now all of a sudden we're just going to give you the bird and do something completely different. But I think, I think that's on our list. It's one of those things where we're always have a, we have a list going. We, have, we share Google Docs and we're constantly putting ones in. I'm fascinated by this space exploration movies like Mission to Mars. I love that movie as well. That was really good. Um, Contact, obviously, all time favorite. And just these kind of movies that are at the edge of like leave a bit to the imagination. I'm not as big a fan of the, the over, you know, over in your face monster, but more of the psychological, like what's out there. We don't know what's out there and let's explore and. Because at the end of the day, we still don't know, right? So <laughs> it's all worth all up for grabs. Yeah, I had, um, like I said, we I already mentioned him, Dr. John Charles. He works for NASA, and he came on before we had the podcast. He came on my old show to talk about traveling to Mars, and we talked about that movie. I'm like, hey, can you come on? Because he'd been on before, and I like, hey, can you come on and talk about this movie in particular? And so, what what advice would you give, you know, for people that are starting with a co-host or thinking about bringing someone on? Because in the beginning, when I started this show, I was like, I was so nervous to do one. I was like, a co-host will help me, and I'm glad I didn't because it sort of I, I had to learn a lot of things on my own. And I found like this for this show, the format of just me talking to someone is probably best. But you know, for people who are thinking about a co-host now that you've worked with Alan for so long, like what what tips would would you give for for making sure that that goes well? Well, when I talk to anybody about making a podcast, regardless of the format or if you're going to have a co-host or not, it's logistics. What can you do and what can't you do? Are you set up to have two people cross the country talk? Are you set up to have two people in the same town come over and talk in one place? Um, do you have time to do that? Because you may have time, but your co-host may not have time. I mean, I have time because I work for myself, so I have time to edit and and. I do a lot of the social media and, and the website stuff where he has a legitimate job and he has review he has to review movies. So his time is a lot more specific. And so we kind of have to work around his schedule to some degree. But that's what you have to do. You have to figure out, A, do I like this person? Do, do I like this person enough to talk to them? Because sometimes you have friends that you just don't need to talk to very much. You know, it's like, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? And then boom. But you want to have something that you both have an interest in and then, you know, figure out a schedule and figure out logistics and who's going to do what, assign each other tasks, who's going to do what. My wife also has a co-host on her podcast and they've got to figure that stuff out. It's like, I think they alternate between editing because they both hate it. 
So, so they kind of alternate who does it when, but they have to figure out who has schedules because they both work and, and what'll work and when can they get together. And Let, let's give uh, her, her podcast a shout out as well. The Nerdy Bitches is the name of their podcast. I produced that for a long time. And then thankfully I've started to give them, push it onto their plates and show them how to do stuff. And right now the only thing, since it's on my account on Libsyn, I just upload it for them and, and send them the link of the MP3. And But other than that, They've got everything taken care of. They're doing live podcasts now. And it was one of those where my wife saw me doing podcasts and saw listen, and was listening to them. And it's like, you seem to be having a lot of fun. And and we get to do all these cool things because of your podcast. I mean, we're going to all these Comic-Cons on other people's dime because they're bringing me in because they heard me on the podcast and they this and that. And we're having all this fun and we're getting to meet cool people. I wanted, I want in on that. And so she and her friend, my wife Heather and her friend Liz got together and they started. And then... They also filled a niche that was there's a need out there. There's not as many female voices in geek culture. And so so they talk about all kinds of stuff in nerd and geek culture from a female perspective, which I 100% stand by. In fact, they're like, there's a guy who wants to come on the show. No, do not have any guys on the show. They, they, they have enough outlets as it is. Yeah, and it's not being discriminatory. It's more about focusing on the female perspective and, you, you know, you want to make sure that's what your core audience wants and, and they expects. And I have no problem saying, you know, you should probably not have him on. Does, is there a female equivalent of him that we can do? You know, cause it's not that we don't want his opinion, but he has, he can go on my show. He can go all kinds of shows. Um, so I wanted to keep it true. And so I kind of, I always kind of urge them to, to stay true to the, the nerdy bitches core value system. Yeah. It's true because every podcast, I mean, I always tell people you're the host, so you're the boss and you you make the rules, you decide who you want to bring on. And and like in, in the case of like you, I, I'm literally scratching my own itch with this show because I'm like, I want to talk about movies for a little bit and, and we seem to be about the same age. I know that we'll have some interesting references and and it's just, it's almost like an opportunity for me to just like connect with people in podcasting and see what's going on and, and tell their stories and just have a general curiosity. And, and I find some, sometimes like those are the most fun conversations because you don't know where they're going to go. There's no agenda. There's no motive other than just pure curiosity. And that's exactly why I had Alan on my podcast is just because I was kind of stuck talking to business folks or people who are running some sort of business or part of a business. And I'm like, I really just want to talk about movies sometimes. You know, I also like being on shows where I can just be me and I don't have to promote or market anything. You know, if, I, if I'm on a podcast that's just a comedy podcast, because I do have a comedy background, I can just come on and be myself and not worry about, well, is this going to affect my brand? I don't care what my brand is. It's fun because I've had the the pleasure of being on a couple of my guest shows. So uh, Jonathan Oaks of Trivial Warfare. And I was like, oh, I know trivia. I can go on the show. Oh, my God. I was so fish out of water there. <laughs> These guys do not play around with trivia. And thankfully, he paired me up with someone who's like an expert. So I didn't look like a total fool. But we were one team. And she basically answered 90% of the questions. And I was like, I think I got one right. And I was like, that's really when I felt like, well, okay, a lot of respect when you go on someone else's show and like, like you're in my house now, like this is how it works, which is really interesting. And then I've been a guest on um, a couple of fan shows, like for Game of Thrones, Game of Microphones from my friend Jason Kabasi and Walking Dead cast. And so that's interesting because when you're, when you're not the host, you just kind of like follow along and they've got like a, a framework for how they do the show and a format and questions, which is really fun. Those, and again, your guard is down. So these are, those are really fun to do as well. Yeah. Cause I was on a doctor who podcast and i love doctor who but again i don't have that encyclopedic 
on episode 14 of season one, this particular alien comes from this. I don't know all that, but I know I love River Song. Uh, I know, you know, she is the kids of, uh, she's the kid of the pawns and it's just all this stuff. So I can, I can interject when I need to. And I, I don't, especially when you're the guest, you don't have to take a lot of the responsibility on, except in a situation like this one where I am the guest. I like panel discussions where I can just kind of poke my head in and kind of snipe attack every once in a while. Just, oh, I got something good to say. I'll wait in there. And is it relevant, though? Just make sure it's relevant. Oh, no, that time has passed. That's the only thing you have to do as a guest on a panel is, is what you're going to say relevant to the moment that just happened? Because oftentimes you have a thing you want to say, and then that, that window shuts. And you still say it anyways, and you kind of come to everything to a screeching halt. So you've got to police yourself. Talk about reboots. One last movie movie <laughs> reference, and then we'll wrap up. Um, Lost in Space. I'm, I just totally disappointed. I was, I, I mean, I, I didn't watch the old one that much, but I saw the new one. I just didn't get it. It was just like the acting wasn't good, and the the robot is really obviously high tech CGI is all great, but it was just like I could not connect past the first episode, and I don't know where that one's going. Indifferent. There's some things that I liked and some things that I didn't like. Uh, I thought it was, yeah. they're constantly in trouble every second. And it's like, come on, at some point, they're going to have a chance to relax. And sure, they're going to meet somebody or in the show, they would like meet an alien or they'd have an issue, but it wouldn't be like this life or death issue. It'd just be something smaller. I didn't feel that the characters were true to the television show, I, but I did like Parker Posey as the, doc, the new Dr. Smith, who actually isn't Dr. Smith. She's taking over for Dr. Smith, played by Bill Mummy, who is, was the original kid on Lost in Space. So, so if you didn't know that, if you saw him at the, the first episode when she took the actual Dr. Smith, that's Bill Mummy, the kid from Lost in Space. That's nice. I like when they do those little things like that. Yeah, and, and we'll do that in recasting sometimes, like a, like a someone who was in the original, and then we'll, so we do the updated version, and I'm like, well, you know, to play the father, I'm now going to have the kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, because he's still he's still around, he's still acting, he's still doing a good job. So, a couple of questions I always like to wrap up with: um, What is the most misunderstood thing about you? Well, I, t- I talk on negativity a lot, and I do consider myself a fairly negative person. But people don't understand the difference between personality and attitude. So, personality is how you see the world, and attitude is how you project it onto the world. And so, I see the world as a big old cluster. And that it's there's a lot of problems and, you, and you've got to look out for potholes and traffic accidents, all that stuff. But that doesn't mean I go around and I'm miserable and curmudgeonly and, and awful. So I get a lot of people, especially when I speak and I go and speak about negativity and how it's useful. And they'll be like, oh, you, you make perfect sense. You don't seem very negative. And it's like that, that's not how, how I express myself. I try to keep a positive attitude or at least be a pleasant person to be around. I'm sarcastic and yeah, I do. I'm a little cynical, but that doesn't mean I say things to make things worse. Um, I, I usually say things to be sarcastic, to make people laugh or to kind of put some, take the polish off of things. I guess in England, it'd be taking the piss out of things because sometimes, especially in speaking, I think a lot of people overly or overly positive to the point where it doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's like, that's not real life. So I try to bring it down to reality without trying to, without diminishing what they're trying to say. So that's like the, I think the negative, my negative perception is often misunderstood because people think you seem like a nice enough guy. That's interesting. Well, um, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Something I changed my mind about recently, I guess it would have to be uh, Deadpool. Um, I didn't really like the character. 
Uh, not the movies. This is the comic books. I didn't really like the comic book character. I thought he was a little, and I, I talked about this in our Patreon uh, episode where we did Deadpool and I just don't really like the character, but I love the movies. And so I changed my mind on him where it's like, Oh, I, I, it's cause it's Ryan Reynolds. He's charming and he's funny. And they do the movie correctly. Cause it's, it's, I thought in the, in the comic books, it's one of those situations where I think the writer thinks he's funnier than he actually is. And so here we have somebody who, you know, they have a team of writers who are professionals and they can screen test it and they can get more input and they can go, yeah, that's not funny. This is funny. And so I've changed my mind on Deadpool. I find him funnier than I ever thought he would be. I have yet to watch this. One of the few Marvels I haven't seen, but uh, I think, uh, I think you just have to sit down uh, and, and at least watch the first one. Uh, Definitely watch the first one. The first one is, is extremely lean and it, it tight. It's well-written. It's just boom. It's just like, you can't believe it. It's from start to finish. It's really good. The new one is, we just saw it last night is a little bloated, but it's still good. It's just that you, there's some parts that they could trim Deadpool, the original, there's not much you can edit out of that or make it because uh, it's pretty quick. It gets from point, point to point rather well. Okay. I'll put it back on the list. <laughs> well, Craig, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Um, nice way to spend a Friday. Thanks for coming on and, and thanks for sharing your story about the podcast. Well, I appreciate it. And that's matineeheroes.com. We'd really want you to go listen to it. And we love feedback. That's one of the great things about doing live shows is we get people actually giving us recasting suggestions on the podcast and we love to hear people's response. And if there's good ones, we, we talk about it on the, maybe a couple weeks after the actual episode, but we're like, Oh, Hey, we got an email from Harry and Harry thought when we did the Buckaroo Banzai that he thought this guy would be perfect for Buckaroo. And then we'll talk about it. And- I love when super fans participate. I mean, I, I read every, you know, every time I get a comment and anytime I get a like, anytime I get a retweet, I'm all over it. I don't care how long I'll be doing this podcast. I mean, I treat those listeners and those fans like gold because I'm like, if they took the time to do that, you know, they obviously have an interest in the show. And so I, I love engaging with, with fans like that as well. Yeah. We even had a, a few, uh, they, they chose our latest t-shirt, which was the uh, big trouble in little China. That's the that's the reason we did that movie is not because we wanted to is because when we asked people we have a mascot that's a manatee and we said well we we've done some shirts in the past and like what's your what would you like to see and we had a poll and the poll came out with Jack Burton and so we figured we'd do the podcast to promote the t-shirt versus the other way around and so it's that's worked out quite well so we, it's always good to get feedback and and kind of make shows for some of our more important listeners who actually take time to to interact with us so if they if the folks do want to track you down or get in contact with you matinee heroes is the best place and anywhere else you want to send them No, matinee heroes everywhere we're at matinee heroes that's one thing about podcasting you want to talk about what thing you want to think about make sure that whatever you get you can get the url the twitter handle the facebook so matinee heroes is us everywhere all right thanks again for coming on uh hope you have a fantastic weekend hey i appreciate it harry it's a great time thanks again to craig for coming on the show it's always fun to be reminded of the movies that uh bring us back or take us back in time. And so I appreciate him coming on the show and sharing some of those memories with us. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 177. Don't forget to check out squadcast.fm for high quality audio on your next remote interview. Tune in next week for my conversation with Jules Hannaford. We met at Podcast Movement. She's amazing. She's awesome. And she's funny. And she's an author. And her podcast is called Hong Kong Confidential. So guess what we're going to talk about? Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, weekly updates on the podcast episodes when they go live, podcastjunkies.com forward slash eight tools. And if you made it this far, you're no doubt looking for the retention hashtag. It's going to be movie Craig, hashtag movie Craig, one word, and tag Craig at price underscore points. 
P-R-I-C-E underscore P-O-I-N-T-S and us at podcast underscore junkies. We both have an underscore in our Twitter handle this week. Thanks for everything you do to support the show. Uh, signing out from Naples, Florida. Say bye, John. Bye. Tune in next week and I uh, love what you do to support the show. Thanks, guys.